And uh, so I'd like to welcome all the way from the Long Beach Fellowship, Ida. Hi, my name is Ida. I'm a compulsive overeater. Actually, I come from the other end of the bridge. I'm from San Pedro. <laughs> it's okay. Um, about a week or so ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who lives up in the, the Bay Area, and uh, she uh, gave me a quote that she heard at a meeting. And I thought it was so remarkable that I immediately sent it out to all my um, email friends. And I wanted to share it with you. And, and uh, it said, she said, she heard it at a meeting in San Francisco. And uh, it was, hitting bottom is when the consequences of your actions come at you faster than your ability to lower your standards. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I just went, oh, my God, do I understand that? Because when I... Uh, was uh, coming out of a temporary recovery and getting getting my weight back. Uh, I got up to I was I got on the scale and I was 205, and uh, my reaction was well at least it's not 240 because that was my top weight and so see I was still able to lower my standards at 205. And uh, by the way that was before I came into program. I will start my pictures around. And what I want to talk about is uh, my hitting bottom and uh, why I am I'm staying. I came in over years anonymous 26 years ago, April uh, 17th, and uh, I came in with well, no, I started to abstain on April uh, 17th. I went to my first meeting on April 20th. So I walked into my first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous on Sunday, April 20th, uh, with four days of abstinence from compulsive overeating because I started to abstain as soon as I made the phone call, and I've been abstaining since that phone call. So I, um, I fully expect, and there's no reason for me not to believe that I will celebrate 27 years of abstinence in April, but right now I have 26 years of abstinence from compulsive overeating. I've never had to come to a meeting eating because I haven't had any relapses. I've that was my story. When I put down the food, it stayed down. And uh, I maintain a 100-pound weight loss. I've been maintaining a 100-pound weight loss for 25 years, and I've been within 10, 10 pounds of my goal weight that I set for myself when I came into this program for 25 years. So uh, that uh, is pretty goddamn remarkable, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> you know, when I think about it, I just... I'm amazed. You know, underneath this coat I have on a really lovely dress, but I'm still freezing, so you can just use your imagination. <laughs> um, red velveteen, you know, nice. But anyhow, I um, see, I hit bottom. I hit bottom on April 16th, 1975. And uh, I, uh, I put down the... I put down the food and, and uh, you know, I put down the shovel because I, I could have kept digging, I suppose, but I, I quit digging on April 16, April 1975. What happened was a friend of mine was going to come and wanted to come visit me. Now, the last time she had seen me, I weighed about 150 and I was in a temporary recovery. I had just lost 60 pounds uh, by starving myself and exercising a lot Yeah, going to a gym and just, you know, just really... Um, I was eating at a starvation level, and uh, you know, but I lost my 60 pounds uh, for a um, for a man that uh, I taught with at the school. 
And I, uh, I don't advise ever losing weight for a man or a woman or any other person because I really had a terrible crush on this man, you know. And I did. I went out and I lost 60 pounds for him. And uh, I really had my, my sights on him. And then I found out he was gay. And, you know, and then I, I had no reason to keep the 60 pounds off after that, you know. But I am uh, beginning to warm up. Uh, I, uh, so this lady had seen me in my temporary recovery. And uh, she was a person I had known since high school. She dearly loved me, and I dearly loved her. And uh, I could not stand the thought of her seeing me back up to uh, 225 pounds. It was I just couldn't I just couldn't do it. And so uh, I, um, instead of uh, making a lunch date with her, which was what she wanted, I phoned OA that night. It was on a Wednesday, and it was uh, before the time of answering machines if you can believe such a thing. And uh, I called after work hours, and so nobody answered. But it didn't make any difference. I got up the next morning, and I started to abstain, and I knew it was over with. I just knew it was over with. And I um, I went on, the f- uh, my first uh, week in program was on a, a very uh, famous food plan uh, that uh, of, of a weight loss group and if, and anybody who ever joined this weight loss group knew these you know these standard two ounces of cheese and this whatever and so I brought this very standard uh, lunch to school and uh, a lady sat down next to me in the school cafeteria and uh, looked at the lunch and said you know I know this lunch. <laughs> she said, this looks like a, a Weight Watchers lunch. And, she, and I said, yes. I said something about being mad at somebody and I was going to lose weight. Oh, God, I don't, I, to this day, I don't know where that came from. And uh, she got up and left, came back, sat down next to me again, looked at me and said, why don't you try Overeaters Anonymous? So I was 12-stepped on my first day of abstinence from compulsive overeating. And it was the first time I ever heard anybody say the words Overeaters Anonymous out loud except for the operator that I had called the night before to uh, get the phone number. I was 12-stepped by Dear Abby. I I didn't know anybody in program. Uh, I didn't know anybody in any 12-step program. Uh, And this, but this lady, what had been in, you know, for a while, uh, she... um, had been praying for the opportunity to 12-step me. She had been in OA for a while, but she wasn't abstaining, and she hadn't lost her weight. And she thought she might wait to 12-step me uh, when she had something to offer. And so, you know, she was losing her weight, and I was gaining my weight, and I was avoiding her like the plague. And finally, um, she had about 10 months of abstinence when she, uh, she 12-stepped me. The next day, she brought me the food plans that were printed at the time, and I knew I would never follow any of them. And uh, I never have followed any of the printed food plans that OA has offered over the years because I found a way of abstaining that worked for me, and I just I just stuck to it, even though people actually told me that I was doing it wrong and that, <laughs> and that I couldn't possibly continue to abstain eating as I did because, you know, I was one of these people in the 70s. You know, there were two camps. There was the... L.A. camp where people moderate mealed it, and there was the Orange County camp where everything was no white sugar, well, yeah, no sugar, no flour, way to measure and everything. And here I was, somewhere in the happy middle, you know, eating uh, sugar and flour and weighing everything that went into my mouth, you know. And so I didn't fit in anywhere. And so, yeah, I had, I, I did. I had people tell me I couldn't do it right. Uh, and, uh, you know, I lost my weight on frozen pizza. 
And that is not exactly, that's not holy food. You know, frozen pizza is not righteous. It's not plain yogurt and wheat germ and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just not. And, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not willing to gain it back to lose it the right way. <laughs> so I walked into my first meeting that night, uh, that Sunday night, and uh, I emotionally crawled up the stairs. I looked up at the people gathering in, you know, at this open door, and they were having a good time. You could even hear the laughter uh, from downstairs, and people were hugging, and there were people of all sizes, and, and I dragged myself up all 225 pounds of me, and a man, uh, total... Um, total stranger. Well, obviously it was a stranger. It was my first meeting. But he had a beard. You know. Oh my God, he was male and had a beard. And he walked straight over to me and didn't ask me if I wanted a hug. He just went, and that was it. You know. And I got my first OA hug, and I couldn't believe what was happening. And I walked in there, and there were all kinds of people. Uh, I grew up from my very first meeting with a lot of men in program. You know, a lot of meetings you go to, there are no men. Uh, for years, my home meeting had one token male, and when another one showed up, we cheered, you know. And it wasn't all that small a meeting, but uh, it was um, a packed room. People came from all over uh, the L.A. area, clear out to the Palm Springs area and down from Orange County. They'd, they'd converge on Alhambra uh, on Sunday night. Good old Sunday night Alhambra. And uh, it was smoky. People smoked. I mean, you know, meetings had smoking. And, and uh, I did not fit in. Uh, the first speaker I ever heard was this very skinny young lady who talked about getting laid in the park and used the F word. And I just went, oh, God. And I was this, I was this pure and, and, and as the driven snow, innocent, not, well, I, I wasn't a virgin, but I wasn't quite not, you know. I was just kind of, you know. And... Um, <laughs> And then this girl stands up there and talks about, you know, about this. And uh, I thought, what have I come into? But you know what? It was too late. It was too late because I had hit bottom. I could not live as I was. I couldn't live obese. I couldn't live fat anymore. And I knew, I knew from... Uh, the morning that I started uh, that diet, which was a, which what it was at that time, I didn't know it was going to be abstinence from compulsive reading. How would I know? Uh, but I um, I knew I was going to get thin, and I also knew that I had to change the way I thought. I had to change the way I was living in order to stay thin. Now. Um, When I hear people say, you know, that I didn't come to OA for the weight loss, I always go, yeah, right. But you know what? I guess I didn't because I knew I was going to have the weight loss. I came to OA to keep it off and to change the way that I was living because I knew I had to do that. And I, uh, and I did. So uh, from that first meeting, the only thing I remembered hearing was, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. I didn't hear it, keep coming back or anything like that. Nobody talked about food. Um, it was, you know, this meeting was way too hip slick and cool to talk about food. And uh, and they didn't talk a whole lot about uh, spirituality. In fact, they made light of 
turning things over like pancakes. And, uh, and I didn't take any phone numbers. I uh, didn't buy a big book. I did, definitely did not get a sponsor. You know, I just walked out of there and for three days didn't sleep. That's what I did because I, I couldn't quit thinking about what I had heard at that meeting. And luckily, I didn't go to a whole lot of meetings because I never would have slept my first year. I swear to God. So the next week, I went back, and I had a, a week of abstinence. And uh, the, the speaker at that meeting was this old lady. Well, no, I take that back. She was not old. I'm 56 today. This woman was not old. Back then, she looked older. But um, if you're ever wondering what 56 looks like, this is my version of 56. Um, she talked about... She was getting excommunicated from her church because she was living with her boyfriend. And I'm going, oh, my God, you know, I, what, am I, what have I fallen into here? You know, all I talk about is sex, you know. And, uh, and, you know, and then, you know, I realized after a couple of years that we have a sexual disease and, and one of our main things we eat over is sex. You know, now, I'm, now you can see my dress. Uh, uh, it's the sex. Thank you, Elizabeth. <laughs> um, so I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't get a sponsor. And uh, I finally bought a big, big book after two, three months. And, but I wouldn't read it because it was written by a bunch of drunks, and I, I couldn't do that. And now I'm, I'm pissed again because I, just, I finally got my fourth edition today, and they took out one of my very favorite stories, Stars Don't Fall. They, you know, they didn't ask me my opinion, you know. And uh, they only left 15 of my... I, I, you know what I did? This is a sidetrack, side but when I found out there was going to be a fourth edition, I sat down, and they were going to keep 16 stories. I sat down, and I made a list. And today I, I compared them, and, and they left about four of my favorite stories out. But anyhow, I'm, so I have my third edition, and I also have my second edition, because uh, I came in right before the third edition came out. Okay, back to my story. So I didn't get a big, uh, I w- wouldn't read the big book. I didn't have a sponsor. I was making no phone calls. So what was I doing? I was abstaining on a daily basis, no matter what. I went from eating out of the garbage can eating incredible quantities of food, sneak eating, which was interesting because I lived by myself, and, um, and eating to the point of tears, crying, waiting for the physical pain to subside and start again. You know, and that's, that's what I was doing one day, and the next day I was eating uh, next to nothing. So about... Um, about five months into program, I got to the point where I uh, knew I had to have a sponsor. And the way I found out I had to have a sponsor was that I um, was eating dinner on a Sunday night, and <clears throat> I had a blackout. And I woke up on my bed, and I was covered with vomit, and I had no memory of how I got there. And about 40 minutes had passed, and I had vomited my hair, vomited on my clothes. You know, it was just a mess. And I had no idea. I had completely, I had done it all in a blackout. And um, as I lay there, unable to move because the slightest movement caused great waves of nausea, I became really aware of my total powerlessness. 
I could do nothing for myself, by myself. I couldn't move. And uh, I, I lay there and I thought, you know what, Edith, you have been in this program now, well, four or five months, and you are not doing, you are not doing it. You have to get on with this. And so it just so happened that uh, I had a doctor's appointment the next day, and uh, I had a blood infection, and I was really quite sick, and I was quite nauseous and lightheaded for about a week after that. But that Wednesday, I didn't wait to get well. That Wednesday, I drove myself down to uh, the Alano Club in West Covina, where uh, somebody had told me that there was a woman who might be able to sponsor me. And I... uh, I went into this room, and oh my God, I hated it. And first of all, it was packed, so I had to sit in the back um, with the court cards. And uh, I I watched this woman, and I heard her pitch. And uh, she was an absolute slob. Her hair was barely combed. She had a tear in her shirt, and I thought, that's what I want. I want to be able to go to a meeting looking like an absolute slob and not worry about it. And... uh, I walked up to her and I said, um, if, you, if, uh, if you do not have time to be my sponsor, could you help me find someone? And she said, uh, if I don't have time for you, I don't have time for myself. And she said, I want you to do two things. I want you to call me every day and I want you to write your inventory by the big book. And with that, I got on with working the program of Old Readers Anonymous. This woman just filled me with um, with the big book and with a real kind of hardcore, no nonsense, no there there, you know, poor baby kind of uh, sponsorship. She was she was pretty um, pretty firm. For instance, she told me that it was not enough for me to abstain from compulsive overeating that I had to be in a normal body, that I couldn't handle I could not hang to my weight. She said that uh, she was in AA, well, obviously, since I met her at the Alana Club, she was in AA and OA, and she said, um, abstinence is not, she said, abstinence does not equate with uh, sobriety. Abstinence in a normal body equates with sobriety. She said, you are addicted to the fat, you are addicted to the food. You have to get rid of both. They both serve a purpose in your life. And until you get rid of the food, until you get rid of the fat, you're not going to know what uh, purpose they served. She didn't, you know, that was, you know, she just laid it out. And I remember thinking, well, of course I'm going to lose my weight. (laughs) You know, know, I I didn't know that that she was um, preparing me ahead ahead of time for thoughts that may enter my mind, you know. So, uh... I wrote that inventory uh, by the big book, four columns, resentment, sex, and fears, uh, and uh, gave it away. And the day after that, I started making my amends. And, you know, I pretty much marched through the steps. And at my first birthday, I had lost 90 pounds, and I felt sad that it was not 100. You know, and talk about lack of gratitude. And... uh, um, about uh, a couple months before my birthday, I was I was approaching 150, and I had not been below 150 pounds in my adult life, not since I was about oh maybe 13, 14, because when I graduated from high school, I weighed 195 and I barely could get into the robe, 
And uh, by the time I was a sophomore in college, halfway through my sophomore year, I weighed 240, which was my top weight. But I was I was getting down to uh, 150, and uh, the thought began to hit. You know, um, are you going to stick this time? Is it going? Is this going to be the the end point for you? And I wouldn't allow the the thought to germinate. You know, I would just let it pass through. But then, and then I heard the words of truth from a uh, fourth grader. I am a teacher, and uh, it was my practice to go over the weekly schedule with my children on a Monday. Okay. Now, usually on Monday we would have um, a dancing class. We, we did square dancing, you know, folk dancing, and I loved, I loved to teach it. And uh, the week before, my kids wouldn't do anything right. The boys wouldn't touch the girls. You know, you know, cooties. You know. It was, this was back when they used, still used to use those kinds of terms. And uh, the... the uh, the um, t- the record player wouldn't work. Uh, nobody could remember the dances. It was just awful. It was a horrendous experience. And I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. So the next week, I didn't announce that uh, dancing for that day. And this little girl named Sean, bless her heart, raised her hand. She said, Miss Garzelli, she says, aren't we going to do our dancing today? And I said, you know, Sean, it was so bad last week. It was so bad that I just don't want to go through that again. And she said, but Miss Garzelli, just because we didn't do it right last week doesn't mean we're not going to do it right this week. And I... I stood there and, you know, I remember looking up at the clock for some reason and I said, you know, that's right. Just because I've never been able to do it before doesn't mean I'm not going to be able to do it this time. I have Overeaters Anonymous. It changes all the rules. You know, I could not lose my weight and keep it off before. But I was trying to do it by myself for the wrong reasons. And, you know, then here comes OA, where I don't have to do anything by myself. Nothing. And uh, and I knew that, you know, I knew that I was going to lose the rest of my weight. And uh, to this day, I just would love to know what happened to this girl. She's got to be in her late 30s by now, which is pretty scary that any of my former students aren't that old. But I, uh, she, she helped me through. So uh, I um, at two years in the program, I uh, well, I said I said earlier that I felt that um, compulsive overeating was a sexual disease, and I do know that for um, that for me, I ate consciously. The only the only two reasons that I could remember eating consciously over one was boredom, and the other was a fear of men and sex. So after about a year in this program, I started to look around to uh, see how I could grow in my relationships with men. And uh, after a couple false false starts, I uh, met a man um, after two years in program, and 
Uh, he's now we've been married for 22 and a half years. Uh, luckily for him, by the time I met him, I had my fear of men and sex removed. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, we. Um, oh, I may as well tell about our first date. What the hell? What have I got? Five more minutes? Yes. Okay. Well, but I'm going to take questions. How long do I have before questions? I have ten minutes. Okay. Um, my husband, I met my husband in the school cafeteria, elementary school cafeteria. Uh, to me, that's, I can tell by the looks on your faces, you don't understand what a phenomenally incredible thing that is to meet an eligible, eligible man in this elementary school cafeteria, but trust me. And, and um, he asked, he, on, a, on a Thursday, he says, I think we should go out sometime. And I said, sure. And I wasn't thinking anything more about it until the very next night, on a Friday night, I get this phone call. And uh, he said, I think we should start tonight. And I go, oh, okay, except that I had started my dinner. And he had asked me out for dinner. And I'm going, what do I do? I mean, I started my dinner. And so I said to him, well, um, I have to make a phone call. <laughs> and so I hung up with him, and I called somebody. And, and uh, I said to her, I started my dinner, and then this man calls up, and he asked me out to dinner. And, you know, he lived 40 miles from me. He lived in San Pedro. I lived in El Hamburg. And uh, I said, what am I, what do I, what do I want? And I mumbled around, and she said, well, what do you want from me? And I said, I want permission from you to stop this meal. I just started. I mean, you know, I hadn't finished my main course or anything. I said, to stop this meal and, and to start all over again. She says, fine, go out. And I go, oh, thank you very much. And so uh, John came, and uh, we started to drive off. And I, I don't think I yelled, but I said, stop. And he stopped, and I said, excuse me, but I forgot my apple. And I got out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> and and I I went back up and he walked he walked me back up to my apartment and I got my apple and I I took it um, to dinner with me but um, and that was our first date and uh, and you know for us <laughs> well the next morning when he left I went off and talked <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> I went off and taught catechism at the St. Gabriel Mission. Oh, because <laughs> I was going through a religious phase at the time, you know. Oh, my God. And, you know, it was so funny. <laughs> Those apples never got eaten either, which is really, you know, it's just, oh, well, anyhow. So I, I uh, what was amazing about the whole thing was that it was that I felt absolutely no guilt at all, you know, going f- Going from, you know, John to the mission just seemed fine to me. And uh, and even though I was practicing Catholicism at the time, I never took it to confession. Because, you know, God is, the, God is the sole judge of my sexual behavior. And, and uh, you know, and I really didn't, I didn't go to confession. After I went through a reconciliation, I never went to confession again because I had a sponsor. I mean, she knew everything, you know. <laughs> and, uh, uh, oh, my God. So, um, 
we um, we were sort of dating. We were dating, uh, and uh, but it wasn't really going anywhere. And uh, after about a year, I realized that I wa- I really wanted um, uh, a full blown relationship, not just um, you know uh, the kind of casual relationship that we were having. Uh, and I, I went, how I got to that bottom was I went to a meeting. It was an old Crescent Heights meeting on Tuesday night, that some of you may remember. Uh, and uh, I ran into a woman who I uh, knew, and she said, are you still still dating the same guy? And I said, well, yeah. And she said, well, anything's better than nothing. And I got up and I spoke at the meeting, but I could not get this out of my brain, what she had said, because, you know, if he were the anything, then I was the nothing, and that just isn't right. It just wasn't right. So that night I got home and I did something I've only done maybe two times in its program, was that I called my sponsor after 10 o'clock at night. And she answered the phone. Now, if you tried to call me at 10 o'clock at night, I would not hear the phone ring because I, I am asleep with earplugs. You know, I, I just won't hear it. But she picked up the phone, and I told her what the woman had said. And, and by this time, my sponsor was tired of hearing me. And uh, she uh, talked about John, and uh, she said, give him up. Just give him up. And you know what I did. And then when we got engaged, she said, I knew you guys would get it. <laughs> it's so funny. It was so cute. So we broke up. And uh, we got together a couple months later. And I'm going to make the, uh, um, a short story even shorter. Is that when we, f- we started dating again, we did not pick up where we left off. What I did was I sat him down and I explained what I had done and why I had done it. And then I asked him to make changes in our relationship because I learned in this program that if I don't ask for what I want, I deserve what I get. So I had to ask for what I wanted. And lo and behold, this man started to make changes in his life, you know. And our relationship grew. I eventually moved in, and then uh, we got married. And uh, I am really really fortunate that, you know, he is not a member of this program, but I have as as good a spousal support as I've ever heard anybody having in this program. And, uh, you know, he makes, he makes it a lot easier for me to be a member of Overeaters Anonymous. You know, I have met people who have been around for years and meet still with resistance from spouses. And I just feel so fortunate that, uh, that this has not been true in my case. This is the second time this week he's heard me speak. He's got to be sick of it by now, but he keeps coming anyhow. So, um... 24 hours at a time... Time rolled by, and, you know, I, I started building up time, and I was so glad that um, when my mother died right before my 10th birthday that I had 10 years in this program because I had made so many living amends with my mother that when she died, I didn't have to feel guilty. That didn't mean that I, that doesn't mean, I should say, that I didn't feel guilty, 
and that sometimes I still have flashes of guilt about my relationship with my mother, but I didn't have to feel guilty. Um, I had learned that my mother, I came into OA believing that my mother had taught me how to be a compulsive overeater and that it was all her fault. Uh, somehow didn't blame my father for being an alcoholic and dying on my 20th birthday. So my father died 36 years ago today. And, but I blamed my mother because she cooked my food, you know. And uh, what I learned was that uh, I had to give my mother the benefit of the doubt. That she, uh, she didn't want me to suffer. So I, I had to give her the benefit of the doubt that uh, what she did with food around me was not out of malice, but possibly even out of love. Um, when, uh, when my mother died, my OA people were there for me. A couple years after that, my sister died of uh, cancer. And uh, I, went, I was up in Bakersfield, and where my family was from, and I wanted to go to a meeting that night. And so I found out where there was an OA meeting, and I went down, and there was no meeting there. There wasn't any OA meeting. And I sat there, and I waited, and I saw some other people gathering down at another uh, part of the hall, but that was, it was an Al-Anon meeting. It wasn't an OA meeting. And finally, this lady from the Al-Anon meeting came out, and she said, can I help you? And I said, well, I was looking for the OA meeting. And she said, oh, well, it's usually right over here. And she took me back there, and there was no, no, um, no meeting there. And so she said, well, you can join our meeting. And I sure as hell qualified for Al-Anon, you know. So I thought, well, okay, it's a 12-step meeting. I'm going to go. So I went, I went into the Al-Anon meeting. I remind you, my sister died that morning. The topic was grief. And so, you see, the program was there for me, even though there wasn't an OA meeting there for me. The 12 steps was there for me. The love of the fellowship was for, there for me. When my husband had cancer surgery on my 16th OA birthday, there were OA people and OA spouses at the hospital. Uh, last uh, summer, when my, uh, my brother died, um, there were only people at the funeral. You know, this program has just been there for me. I've had, I've had tremendous things happen to me. You know, you can't live for 26 years without having a whole lot of stuff happen. And I've had a whole lot of good, and I've had a whole lot of bad. You know, my husband's had two major illnesses within months of each other. Um, I've had to have, actually, well, I had a gallbladder removed. I mean, you know, that's bad enough. And a fractured ankle, but, uh, you know, I had my mother die, two brothers, two sisters. Um, I, had a, I had a rat infestation in my house. I went through a major teacher strike, which was a huge emotional and, and physical and spiritual experience, trust me. I've, I've, uh, I've gotten married. I moved, and this last uh, summer I retired. And, uh, you know, I've had all these life events happen. And what have, what have the consistent things been? The consistent things is that I've, I've continued to abstain from compulsive overeating, no matter what, good times, bad times. And the program was there to support me through it all. And um, now it's time for questions. If you have any questions... Thank you.
Yeah. Happy birthday, first lady. Oh, thank you. He said happy birthday. Right, I thought that the fat would protect me um, against the advances of men. How could they possibly be interested in me, you know, if I was fat? You know, it didn't, I don't know, I was, I was living in some kind of disconnect because there were women who was, they were heavy as I was, who were getting married and having kids and doing all this stuff, but I really thought that, I thought the fat would protect me. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, I was watching the, the practice, and the Cameron Mannheim character was propositioned by a, a DA, and she was told flat out, you know, don't pursue, you know, this because you don't have any credibility. The guy's handsome. You're not, you know. And that's the way I felt, you know. And I felt, you know, I was, I, I believed that I that I was fat and that I was ugly. That's what it did for me. Yes. With my with my butt, oh, oh, what what actions did I take to so that I would become comfortable with what my body? I um, I took very deliberate actions. One of the first things I did after I lost my weight was while well, I was going to Cal State LA taking units to, to move across the pay scale, and so I wanted to take a dance class. So that'd be good exercise and and fun and whatever. And so I was looking at the schedule, and they had modern dance, folk dancing, and I thought, well, I can take folk dancing because even when I was really heavy, I could move my feet, you know. And I'm very musical. I was a music minor, and the thought of taking modern dance made me want to throw up. So, of course, I enrolled in the modern dance class because evidently that was what I needed to do. And I, you know, I put on a leotard and I go in there and there are mirrors everywhere and I watched myself move. You know? I, and then after I finished that modern dance class, I took modern dance too. And when the uh, teacher uh, came in with a camera one day, I said, I can't do this. And she said, all right, we won't do it. The next time she came in with a camera, I said, I am ready. <laughs> and I let her tape me, you know, doing modern dance. I, um, I knew that I had to become comfortable with my own body because my, my sponsor said, you will or you will get your old one back. And, uh, and I'm very comfortable with my own body. Uh, I have all kinds of scars in my disease. I have hanging skin. I have stretch marks. One of the most <laughs> embarrassing moments I ever experienced with the doctor was once when my gynecologist asked me how many children I had had, and I said none. And he looked like he was dumbstruck, you know, because I looked like I really used this body to produce babies, you know. And I've, I've got an apron in front. You know, my stomach hangs. Um, but, you know, I don't care. And part of that is because I am uh, married to a man who absolutely does not care. In fact, uh, we were talking about this once, and he says, you know, he says, uh, I look at your uh, stretch marks as battle scars, and you won the war. Are there any, are any, um, excuse me while I cry. <laughs> uh, yes? Mm-hmm. 
don't pray and I don't meditate. I quit a few years ago because I just wasn't willing to pretend anymore. And that doesn't matter. I'd get to abstain anyhow. And there's a line in, in my, one of my favorite stories, Stars Don't Fall, that is now out of the big book, where it says <laughs> that some of our members stay agnostic. And I'm not so sure that I'm agnostic. I just, I just uh, don't have any, I just can't figure out how there can possibly be, um, I just can't figure out right now how there can possibly be somebody, uh, a God, a, per, a God personal to me, or maybe even a God at all. I mean, uh, and uh, that, that's where I am right now. I've gone through all kinds of stages, and I can't guarantee you that next week I won't come in here totally converted. But uh, this has been the way it's been for uh, a few years now. But since I know that I am not God, I'm pretty safe. As long as I know I am not God. And you are in a better condition since I am not God either, I'll tell you right now. Okay. <laughs> Alyssa? Thank you, Rita. Uh, can you, uh, how do you separate self-care from selfishness and self-seeking? You hear a lot in the program about setting boundaries and things. When is that self-care and when is it selfishness? Oh, I uh, talked to my sponsor. I talked to my sponsor about, uh, well, for instance, I was doing a huge amount of sponsoring and uh, at different times of the day. And I still do a huge amount of sponsoring, but I have it all clumped in the morning now. But, uh, but uh I had to work it through with my sponsor to move people. And she said to me, can't you just say no? And I said, no, I just can't say no. And, but, willing to, but talking it over with her, the next morning I woke up and I had a plan in my head as to what I could do. Um, I don't know, self-care. And when, when I have to really fight it, when I have a feeling that my behavior, when, when I'm trying to do something nice for you or trying to, to help or whatever, and I'm feel, I get the feeling that my behavior is going to cause resentment in me that is going to alienate me from you, then I need to stop that behavior because I'm going to lose you no matter what. You know. Thanks for asking me a very difficult question, my dear. You're, it's okay. Yes. How do I get out of my ego and stay humble and teachable? Remembering that I didn't do this alone and that I can't do it alone. And I don't care how long I do it, I can't do it alone. And that every time I've ever tried to do this by myself, I failed miserably. And also, I've experienced a great deal of gratitude. And sometimes I'm put in a position where, you know, I could I could go on an ego trip, but what happens is that I feel so grateful that um, that mainly that I've been of service. Uh, recently, I was in a meeting and a lady quoted me uh, about um, about what I said about the fat and the food and being addicted to both, and uh, and I could have thought. Oh, my God, you know, here she's quoting me. Ain't I cool? And my, but my reaction was, she remembered what I said, and I affected her life. And I was very thankful that I was able to affect her life, because I remember 
I, rem- I remember learning from people, and I do learn from people to this day. I, I'm really listening to you guys. One more quick one. Okay, Azusa. Hi. Okay, how do I guarantee my sobriety around food? I weigh and measure my food. That way, everything that I put on my plate belongs to me. And I do not share my food with anybody, including God. I heard, I went, I heard somebody recently say, I leave a bite on my plate for God. And I go, oh, my God, I doesn't need one. You know, it's all mine. If I didn't weigh and measure my food, I, I, would, I would be, um, uh, you know, concerned about, you know, how much I was eating. But since I eat a consistent amount on a daily basis, and my food plan, uh, my food plan at home allows so that when I go out, I, I don't have to weigh and measure my food, and I can have some fun. And I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you.